It is five o'clock somewhere and you've tuned in to episode 14 of BRC. For those of you who'd like to watch this episode, it's available on our website, YouTube, and Spotify. Today in our Tales from the Still segment, I speak to Jesse Parker about Doc Swinson's whiskey. Then later in the show, I catch up with Chef Louise Leonard, who shares her recipe idea using Jesse's whiskey in today's World of Wheezy. Stay with us. There's nothing better than the smell of coffee in the morning. What if you could enjoy a coffee subscription of fresh, roasted specialty coffee while making a difference in the lives of farmers that grow it? What if you also had access to a virtual coffee community of other coffee lovers and the coffee farmer and roaster? That's all part of the Farm to Cup Coffee Club subscription at Unleashed Coffee. Subscribe today. UnleashedCoffee.com Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everybody out there watching and listening. Today, we have Jesse Parker from Doc Swinson's Whiskey. And I am very interested to find out more about this whiskey and way more interested to find out about Jesse because Jesse has been doing this for about 10 years since he turned 21. And it's just amazing to me how far he's come in 10 years. And I'm very interested to hear your whiskey journey, Jesse. So please do tell us when you were a wee little lad, did you always think you'd be working in whiskey? And where did you, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? How did you get from there to now doing head, head blender at uh, Doc's Doxland? Certainly. No, thank you so much, Carrie, first of all, for having me on. This is wonderful. I'm, I'm super excited. My podcast career uh, as a guest is now just barely blossoming. <laughs> um, so bear with me. <laughs> No, no, it's kind of funny. So I think the first question was, where do I come from? Do I think I was always going to be in whiskey, et cetera? I don't know. You know, it's, it's funny. When I was 21, I, I took a little course in Seattle on, on distilling. It was at a craft distillery. There's there only a handful of them or so in the state at the time. And uh, the, the, the distiller there looked at me and said, well, what do you want to make? And I said, I think I said gin or, or rum, something to that accord. He said, what do you mean? Your last name is Parker. Uh, you should definitely be in whiskey, <laughs> if you can imagine why. <laughs> um, quite a history of Parkers in the, in the, in the bourbon world. Um, I'm not related to any of them that I'm aware of, but uh, here I am, just adjacent, um, blending whiskeys just like they are. I don't know. Um, you may have to check on Ancestry. I know. It's actually true. I should do the, the 23andMe thing or something and figure that out. There's a good chance. I do have a lot of relatives from the Kentucky, Tennessee area, if you go back about 100 or so years. So it's totally possible. Maybe it a little bit possible. it went down in the bloodline. It, it, it could be very well in your blood. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's, you know, I think you inspired me. I'll have to do it at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's an old family, like a state somewhere in Tennessee. I mean, it's so far removed. I'm sure it doesn't even exist anymore. But I have heard of that. Um, hmm. Anyways, I, I'm actually, uh, I was born on Whidbey Island in the Pacific Northwest, the Great Pacific Northwest in Puget Sound. We ate a lot of seafood growing up and learned how to swim at a, at a really young age. And humorously enough, my parents weren't really into whiskey, so uh, more rum, actually. My dad was really into rum, so I found an affinity for rum at a pretty young age. And my, my parents were a little more, I think, European in, in, in some some regard. Uh, they were like, sure, try it. Go for it. Do whatever you want. Just don't uh, don't drive and, uh, you know, don't make me pick you up uh, at jail later. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah, so it would be Island, Washington. I think it really helped scope uh, where where my uh, you know, palate has come from, actually. So... So at 21, you were at a family-owned distillery. How did you get no. there, and what did that experience bring to the table for you? Yeah, absolutely. So and just to clarify, it wasn't my family that owned it, but uh, I was actually going to school. 
at, at Western Washington University um, for economics and communications. And I had fallen in love with distillation actually when I was a teenager um, to some regard. Uh, I was just fascinated by the processes. It was mostly led on by beer and, and wine. And that was because uh, my, my, although my parents never did it commercially, uh, my, my mother in particular taught me a lot about brewing beer. And I know my dad was really into it when I was younger as well. So I used to help them, you know, do all the hopping and, uh, you know, mashing the grains and everything. So it was already kind of built in to some degree there. And I just loved the process and the smells and everything that, that surrounded it. And slowly I became more interested in making uh, fruit liqueurs actually as a kid <laughs> with my grandmother because we had fruit trees, right? Uh, and so it was kind of what we did for the holidays when we give bottles out to the family and things like that. And, and of course I was like a kid, I wanted things just chock full of sugar and we could put it on ice cream. That, that's what I fell in love with. And I, I started just picking up books when I was a teenager and just becoming virtually obsessed with distillation practices and, uh, uh came across a lot of old manuscripts, some um, that were, you know, uniquely translated mostly out of, from French to English in the 1700s and. And honestly, just fell in love. So I was going to university, didn't think anything of distilled spirits other than maybe drinking them, <laughs> if you can imagine. And it just so happened that the, the craft distilling boom started kind of taking off in the United States. And uh, there was a couple of distilleries opening up uh, here in, in Whatcom County near the university. And one of them in particular uh, was an apple orchard. And their goal was to make um, apple brandy and, and gin and, and vodka, of course, too. Uh, out of the excess, but um, I I applied for a job and I figured, what the heck, why not? I'm going to university. I could use the money. This sounds really exciting. It's better than, you know, just maybe waiting tables <laughs> yeah. um, to pay off my college tuition. And uh, I showed up for this long, exhausting interview and they didn't ask me a darn thing about distillation and what I even knew. It was kind of funny, actually. Oh, that's weird. Um, it was super strange. And, and they, they bought these beautiful Vendome stills big, beautiful copper stills and really great ones for especially brandy production, in fact. And a couple days later, they called me back and they said, hey, you want a job? And I said, sure. What the heck? Yeah. And they're like, OK, well, you're just going to you're just going to help whoever we hired to, to really run this, you know, assuming they hire somebody that had a lot of experience or some experience, right? Maybe even a brewer or something at the very least. Right. They just didn't. <laughs> they hired me. Um, but and, they told you they were going to uh, hire somebody or they, they just, you they alluded the idea. to it. Okay. I think they mostly just gave me the idea that I'd have some help on this regard. And, and really what happened is the owner of the place who, who didn't have any particular knowledge in distilling or brewing or anything like that, but you know, he, he's a farmer and, uh, 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 or an orchardist and, you know, they're pretty good at MacGyvering things together and making stuff happen on their own accord. So uh, him and I kind of just hit the ground running. He showed me the basics of how to use this you know, steam-powered behemoth, and uh, we made brandy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, he, and did you think it was kind of odd that they were hiring a, this, what were you, 20, 21 at the time? I was 21. I had just turned 21, in fact. Uh, maybe like, I was oh, a wait, month or two legal. into it. You can, you can come work here. <laughs> I think they were like, they're farmers, right? They're like, this guy's going to be the cheapest guy we could find, and he's, you know, he's only working like four days a week. He'll work his butt off, and I did. And... Um, that's that's kind of where that started. And I was there for, for three years. And by the time I was, I think I just maybe turned 22 or maybe I was still 21 at the time, but uh, uh, developed a gin um, that uh, won, uh, it tied technically for first place at New York International Spirits Competition, um, that's awesome. which was pretty cool. That was, it was a pretty big one at the time. I think it's still a pretty decent 
you know, good competition these days. Um, so that was, that was like a proud moment. Uh, it was, it was myself and this one other gin and I even, I even beat Hendrix, which was all the rage at the wow. time. Wow. Yeah. So, that was all the rage back then. <laughs> so there started my career, <laughs> brandies and gin. And I essentially have almost never looked back. Um, and how I got involved in, in, in Doc Swinson's was, uh, it was, it was 24, 25. And, uh, this, uh, one gentleman came into the distillery, you know, I ran a tasting room at the other distillery and, and so I, you know, meet tons of people within a day, sometimes upwards of, you know, 200 plus people in a day. And he has to, he obviously asked some questions. I must've had a impression of myself because he, he, he evidently sent somebody else at some point in time to come hang out with me once in a while, just to check in, see what I was up to. And ah, one day I just a subtle recruitment. Was, it, it was, it was like two years in the making or something like that. And, and one day I, I was out with, with his friend, we were having a drink and he's like, all right, the elusive, elusive gentleman who, who is interested in running a, or opening a blending house, a distillery with you wants to meet you again. I was like, okay, fine. Bring him on. He walks in the door and says, this is what I want to do. Would you like to join us? I really haven't looked back. It's been almost and seven was years. Seven years. Okay. Was so, and was yeah, his 2000, name Doc Sorry, it's 2015. Swinson? No, not at all. <laughs> We're a company of strange elusivities. <laughs> no, um, uh, his name's not. It's Bob. <laughs> Bob's not as exciting. <laughs> no, a little more straightforward. Um, no, uh, Doc Swinson's actually came a little bit later. Our, our company was really set up to do private label production for like uh, liquor store chains and grocery store chains, you know, okay. developing products for them, which... I thought would be an interesting change in my career. I mean, distilling's fun and it's exciting, but it can also be kind of like watching paint dry once you have your bases down. Yeah. And I, I really fell in love with the art of the idea of blending. And it was because I, I had a few you know, lo loose mentors. The cool thing about being 21, 22 at the time when the craft industry was just starting to really take off is there was some, you know, some people that came from really big distilleries that you got to once in a while go to conferences or hang out with them from time to time. I mean, these conferences only had like a hundred people and I was one of them. And nobody's threatened by a 21 year old. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, what's this kid you know, doing you're here? There, I know, right? You're sitting there with all these, these, these like industry giants. These are like master distillers and, and blenders of, of big corporations. And they kind of just like kick it with you and have a beer. They're all wonderful. And they, to some degree, you know, I don't know, took me under their wing in some sort of ways, whether it was just for like an evening or a couple of days or, or multiple phone calls. I fell in love with the idea of blending other people's products because they already know so much about distillation, so much um, they can contribute to their particular um, distillation. And then I get to take multiple and then blend them together. And that's what I really wanted to do, right? I think that was the, the part of me that wanted to be satisfied by. I once wanted to be a chef. And so so compiling different flavor profiles and seeing people's reactions and, and bringing back, you know, memories is probably one right. of the most impactful things I've, uh, you know, on my life. And I want to be able to share that with other people. So, uh, awesome. Doc Simpson's so, came out of that eventually. <laughs> um, what was the first now with now at Swinson's, do you guys distill it and then you blend it or you, you source and then you blend or both? So, so, uh, we're, we're, we're all in sourcing. So everything we do is sourced. Uh, we work with um, primarily, you know, the, the largest distilleries. Most most people are very familiar with out of Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, and of course MGP in Indiana, um, which is where the bulk of our product comes from. Um, and we contract uh, certain mash bills, actually a number of different mash bills. In fact, the ones we're going to taste today are all from MGP currently. Okay. And but there's four mash bills involved in in these products, um, each one with a minimum of two. 
Okay. And uh, they're all aged at least five years, some even more, upwards of seven plus in the blend. Um, wow. And yeah, my, my goal is to really put my own mark on the product here. Um, so you're not just getting what you would normally find out of uh, uh, just MGP, for example. So everything's been manipulated somehow here, whether it's been in a finishing cask or it's a blend of multiple mash bills. Nice. Now, when you blend the multiple mash bills, is that do you give them the recipe and say, blend these before you send it? Or do you have them send it to you and then you blend it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so we, we buy the barrels, whether they're, they're, they're new or already have quite a few years old is because we're pretty young. So we've already purchased most of them. Uh, we wait until they're about five and then we bring the barrels here physically uh, and then we blend them all in house. So uh, nobody else gets to do the blending except for me and my team. <laughs> good. Uh, so it's all done in-house. All the finishing is done in-house. I source the barrels personally, whether it's with a you know a broker overseas or sometimes directly with the previous owner's barrels as well, it is, as often as possible. Sometimes it's, it's not possible, though. So that okay. is really, truly hands-on. <laughs> yeah. And then do you also have them make specific mash bills from the start just for you? Uh, you know, that's something that we're considering and have considered for a couple of years now. And we're just finally getting to the point where we could justify the, the volume requirements, you know, the MOQs that they need. We're hoping that'll stay because we've been really considering doing our, some of our own mash bills. So that's even more unique to us. But that is that is the reason why we started blending the mash bills is, is primarily because it's still unique to us to some degree, right? Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that. I love the idea of, of sourcing something and then changing it completely into something your very own. They do that Absolutely. over Barrel Craft Spirits with Joe. And I think what, what he's doing over there is fantastic. So when I heard about you guys, I was like, wait, is he doing what Joe's doing? Because I got yeah. to talk to this guy. <laughs> Basically, so, I mean, we're just a very baby version. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, and you know, he was a baby version in a minute. And then all of a sudden, not such a baby anymore. So no, it kind of uh, happens quickly. I think Doc Swins is the, I mean, I've been playing around with the, the brand Doc Swins has been around for about four, four and a half years or so. Yeah, 2017 is when it, it came to fruition. And we were only blending, you know, 12 to 40 barrels a year. And that oh, wow. was it in finishing them here. So it was incredibly small. The extra fun side of our company that we, we got to experiment with on our own. And nobody else got to say in it except for, except for us here. As I collected all these notes on all these different finishing casts and different whiskeys that I got to work with, and it was, you know, whether once again, Kentucky, uh, Indiana, and Tennessee. So I got to work with a bunch of different juice, which was great. And then, of course, to find something that's a little bit more consistent for our core line is, is all MGP for now. Um, we'd like to keep that, but it'd be nice to add some others in. So, okay, so tell me how you guys came up with the Doc Swinson's name and what, what does it mean? And what's the, I'm sure it's got some sort of history. It, it does. Uh, so Doc, so it's, it's a little bit funny here. Uh, as it would be really easy if we just said Doc Swinson's was this person. And Doc Swinson was a human at some point in time. It's actually the turn of the century of Seattle. Um, he's kind of one of the, the founders of Seattle and the one who um, really lobbied to get Chief, Chief Self's um, um, name, even though they kind of messed that up a little bit, <laughs> um, as, the, as the city name turned into Seattle. And he was kind of a he was a bit of a rebel. Uh, he was like a you know a classic doctor of the era, so you know a lot of whiskey flew uh, around him. And then, uh, if I remember correctly, he was little tinctures kind of a, probably just running around. Yeah, stuff like that. And if I remember correctly, he was involved in you know some illicit spirits and stuff like that. So he, he was like, out there. He was. A I feel bit like of a his rebel. name would be something that one of those guys like on what's a good example, Pete's Dragon, where they have the guys with the 
cart and they come into town and say, <laughs> yes, have this tincture. It's going to be great. This one. <laughs> yes, this will grow your hair back. Yeah, stuff right. like that. I, I mean, I don't know. He actually, turns out he was actually a pretty good dude. And it's, it's actually, Doc Swinson's was his nickname. And we thought it was a good representation of who we were. We're a little bit harebrained and oddballs here at this company. I mean, after all, we're blending whiskey in the Northwest, pretty darn far away from the, you know, the, the epicenter of American whiskey. We're very much like Scotland up here, you know, as far as our weather goes. We're right by the sea. We're right on the Canadian border. There's really no true background in, in American bourbon <laughs> or, right. or rye here. But hey, this is where we wanted to be. So it has our own influences on it. And, and we love living here. It's a... Uh, and what city place. are you guys in currently up there? So our, I mean, our our warehouses and everything are, are a place called Ferndale, but most people don't even know about that. It's it's mostly petrol processing, and uh, just to the just to the east of us is you know, Mount Baker. So if you're into snow sports at all, it's a great place for mountain biking. Um, but Bellingham, most people know about. Okay. Um, it's it's like a it's kind of like a little version of Portland. Actually, it's a little bit odd, a little bit funky, kind of stuck in an odd era. <laughs> But it's a college town, and it has been for a long, long time. Okay. And how long so, yeah, have you been in that town? Since I turned 18. So we're looking okay. at 13 years now. Um, so I didn't, I didn't go too far from home, uh, all because of love, I will say. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think, I think I'm ready to try some of these, some of these bad boys. Right. Would you say the rye was going to be first? Yeah, let's try the rye first. Um, it's... it's uh, when we kind of started making some of these, yeah, that's the correct one. Absolutely. Show that to everybody. We got them. Oh, you have an old beautiful. school rye. That's beautiful. Do I? I don't it see those beautiful. ones as often. Yeah, this was our, 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 it doesn't look really different on camera, to be totally honest. Yes, yeah, so that was the very beginning of the the concept of doing a Solera. Uh, so what we did is we took two, two rye mash bills. MGP's 51%, so it's got a really high corn content to it, so it's a little bit more adjacent to bourbon. And then uh, MGP's famed 95%, which is what m most people use when they talk about blending with rye. Um, so really heavy, spicy characteristics. And we blended those together and then um, we put them in a, oh, there's the smile. <laughs> if you pay attention to the show, both Chef Louise and I are both big uh, mm -hmm. rye fans for American whiskey. Oh, no, so, yeah, great. Yeah, so we we're, we're in good company. I'm in good company. <laughs> Rise are some of my favorites. They're actually the kind of the whiskeys that really got me into this. I know they're a nightmare to distill. So I, I think mm -hmm. I have an extra little teeny appreciation just because I know it's so hard to make it. Yeah, for people who do it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's like working with bubblegum, hot bubblegum. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's oh, difficult. I've done it beautiful. a couple of times. I'm like, whoo. It's, it's got a nice spice, but it's also very smooth. Mm -hmm. And the legs on this, I don't know if you all can see that, but they're beautiful. And I do taste the corn. It's good, but I think it's a good, it's a very good mix of corn and rye. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not done as well and it's tastes more like bourbon, just hot bourbon. Yeah, and it that, that is not bit. this. So I'm very, I'm very <laughs> impressed. Well, cheers. Thank you. Like I said, that's, a, that's an earlier one too. I got to get you a, a newer version as well. Um, the, yeah, there's like a few release. more rums in the new version. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is release number three, barrel number five, bottle number 216. Of seven hundred and twenty. Yeah, so that's a uh, yeah. That's a, that's like that's a yeah. You should actually because there was a pretty li obviously a quite limited quantity there. Um, the, the newer versions are, are all run out of a uh, one hundred and sixty uh, four barrel uh, Solera. So it's it's the, the one that you have was probably like twenty barrels to be honest. 
Wow. <laughs> so that was incredibly rare. That was the, like the very early stage of it. Um, and uh, we, we actually blend our own rums in-house. So what, what inspired this was uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, rum finished rise in the market, right? There's the classic Angel's Envy, which which is absolutely like it's Christmas spices, right? It's like sweet, it's, it's Christmassy, it's, it's nutmeg, it's clove. And then we wanted to go a little different direction. We uh, blended a few rums for some other clients in the past, and we always had excess stocks of rums from different countries. And I would just continually age them here. So I just had these barrels of excess rum. And I started blending these together and then putting them in our um, bourbon cast, the ones that we, we used to make triple cast the very uh, and blenders cut the next two products we're going to try. And I was aging those rums as a blend for some period of time in there. And then I would put the, I would dump that out and put the rye in those. And that's yeah. actually where we, where we make our own uh, Solera. And like I said, there's about 164 barrels in it currently. Um, six barrels high. It's quite, quite massive. And it's a pain to work with. <laughs> Because oh, sure. you were only taking about 10%, 15% out of each cask, um, cascading it down six barrels or so, and then pulling, uh, you know, about 15 to 17% out of every single barrel in the bottom of, of, of the pyramid. And that's wow. what actually gets bottled. So it's this uh, huge uh, fractional blending system. What um, I like about this too aging. is that it's not, the rum doesn't hit you in the face. It's very subtle. And it's, it's sweet, but it's not overly sweet. And I feel like the sweetness of the rum cuts the sharpness of the rye. And it's just very, very well blended. Well, thank you. No, I, and you know, it's kind of funny. And Doc Spencer's, that was kind of a direction we wanted to take Doc's as a whole was um, uh, when we were, when I've been tasting all these different finishing casts over the years, uh, now they're, a lot of them are absolutely wonderful, but I always thought a lot of them kind of consumed the whiskey too much. So you'd really just taste mostly the finishing. And, and although I get it, you can, you can really identify it really quickly. Like I know this bourbon's finished in a, you know, a pork cask or whatnot, which is great. It makes it really simple for the taster. And we decided to do everything way more difficult here <laughs> and use the finishing cast more like you would um, in, in Scotch or Irish whiskey production, where it actually just nuances or complements the whiskey, but you still taste primarily whiskey. That was the direction that I really wanted to take Doc Swinson's. And I think we've done a pretty pretty good job of achieving that um i think uh, you fact, have gotten some, uh, thank you yeah I, after all it's straight bourbon you know straight bourbon or straight rye is the first thing on the label i would hope you taste that and, and that's what we want sure. to shoot for. <laughs> i know i'm like sherry is a little cheaper than a bottle of finished sherry if it only tastes like sherry you just get the sherry <laughs> right that's just a personal preference so or should we move on to the bourbon certainly Oh, that's got a lovely scent. That's a really good nose. So Blender's Cut, which jokingly was going to be called Parker's Cut, but we figured there might be some lawsuit issues. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Well, if you put Jesse Parker's Cut. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Differentiate myself enough. Yeah. That's a good way. Jesse's so Cut. Possible. You should do Jesse's Cut. <laughs> Jesse's Girl. No, oh, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Jesse's I knew cut. you were going to do it too. I, we were leading right into it. Oh, okay. That was amazing. Uh, there's actually a, a, an Instagrammer that we, he's quite funny. Um, uh, he actually sang an entire song to that beat about this whiskey. Oh, I uh, love it. Jesse's Cut. It was quite humorous. So uh, I'd highly <laughs> recommend checking that out at some point in time. That's a very delicious bourbon. You like it? It's, yeah, it's a little. My, okay, which one do I have? I have a. This should be um, five year. Yep, and it's release number twenty through zero zero one. We're bottle drinking number, the exact same bottle. Are we? 
I have bottle number 5675. Mine is 6689, but it's the same release. So same tank, which is great. So we're we're tasting the same same result here of a blended set of barrels. And Blender's Cut's kind of fascinating because actually each one of the products I produce has a different kind of processing method behind it. Um, that was to exercise, like, uh, you know, basically the, the dreams I've had in a book forever is how do I want to process these different whiskeys from all these different techniques that I've learned? Um, once again, pulled from uh, scotch, Irish whiskey, cognac, a lot of influences I have are from cognac. I worked with a couple of cognac distillers over the years. And then, um, uh, of course, the sherry industry. And Blender's Cut's unique in, in a way that it's 115 proof, um, so and it's technically cast strength every single time. What we do is we it blend the two. Taste different... that. It is no, not, not taste, at all. Does it? No. It's quite it's quite mild in comparison, but it packs it a is, punch of flavor. Right <laughs> wow, no, I would not. It's not. I mean, it's it's got a little bit of heat, but not. I don't sure. feel 115 heat. Wow. No, we, we get that compliment actually quite a lot. The the goal was to to maximize flavor as much as possible, so. In, in making Blender's Cut, we take two mash bills, the MGP's 36% rye and uh, their 21% rye, and uh, specifically pick barrels based that, that are have a huge range of uh, alcohol content. Before we go too much further, I just added a two drops of water. I did the exact Definitely same. Definitely, it opens up a, a kind of a floral note mm-hmm. on the nose. Oh, Wow. That makes a huge difference. It makes it uh, a little bit more spicy. Oh, it's delicious. Okay, so tell me more about this Blender's Cut. Yeah, Blender's Cut is u- unique in the fact that um, well, one, it's a blend of 36% rye whiskey, and, or sorry, 36% rye bourbon and 21% rye bourbon. Two classic MGP mash bills. So once again, it's it's got a lot of heavier elements from the rye in it. And it's blended always to 115 proof with minimal to almost no water added in the process. So it, it's this insanely labor-intensive and complex method uh, that I employed here to use all these different barrels, uh, a huge varying of different variants of proof. So you get all these different flavors that are produced at different, different or that are pulled out of the barrel at different proof points. And we make sure that all of those can get into this batch. And then the end result is 115 proof or, or very, very close to it, where we only add maybe, you know, a, a half a gallon of water just to make sure we're TTB uh, compliant. <laughs> right. And what that does is it, it preserves the, the cast strength aspect and all the really bold flavors of the whiskey without um, essentially letting it, uh, you know, go into like extreme chaos and entropy. So it, no, it's very good. Yeah, it's it yeah. Works. I think the thing we usually hear about this one is that it drinks way above a five year bourbon closer to like a seven Wait, to nine, five? seven, eight or nine. It is five. It's only oh, it is five. Wow, is no, you're right. Five. It drinks much. It uh, I was gonna say at least eight or nine for sure. Yep. like that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you. That, that that's great. And that was the intention behind it. Was okay. So there's there's you know I mean finding old whiskeys is nearly impossible anymore. So unless you have a stock of it, uh, you're kind of out of luck. So uh, how do we how do we make the best thing out of the the, the ingredients that we have? And, and five is a really nice age in general, but. If there's a way to, to elevate that even more and then give you a, a sticker price of a five or six year old under a, uh, you know, something that tastes like eight, nine years old, why, why wouldn't we? Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, very cool. Okay, so now the one that I've been anticipating the most because I'm a big sherry lover is the straight bourbon whiskey finished in sherry and cognac casks. And it's yes. got a purple label. I love that. 
hey, it's it's actually my favorite color, so that's why I went with it. <laughs> that was a good cork sound. It was. I may use that later. <laughs> Please. There's a cork there's a cork sound effect that I use on the show that actually was an organic cork pop from from an episode. Wait. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it, it was like I couldn't believe how good it was. So I was like, well, we're going to use that. I can smell the sherry in a very faint background and the cognac. It's got a nice sweet scent to it, but yet still smells like whiskey. That's delicious. Thank you. I think Bravo, it was a goal. sir. <laughs> Goals achieved on this one. This one, this one took me a few months to develop. I mean, after even just the initial finishing process, sitting in, a, in, a, in my blending lab, I'm going back and forth with every single cask I had. Uh, you know, I've got a couple dozen of, of each of these, and it's uh, it, it was pretty labor intensive. And I'm sure my liver doesn't thank me for it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it was well worth it. Uh, so triple cask is pretty cool. I, I there's I know there's another one or so on the market that does this where they use sherry casks and and um, and cognac casks. They're just all really great natural complements for each other. The cognac really brings longevity and a nice background sweetness in it, um, and then. There's two different kinds of sherries in here. We've used both Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez, so kind of opposite sides oh, of the nice. spectrum here. Yeah. Yeah, the, the very first uh, finished cask I ever did was a Oloroso, and I fell in love with it in a heartbeat. It just brings so much nice, like, citrusy, nutty um, characteristics to it, that uh, to the bourbon that you, you just don't find in a lot of other things. And the right. Pedro Jimenez just adds some thickness, some proper thickness and body, and those really great fruit leather characteristics. Yeah, the um, legs on this one is definitely thick. Which yeah, <laughs> and this one, all all, all of these are, um, or this is a blend of the thirty six percent and twenty one percent rye bourbons as well. So essentially, it's it's the next step for blenders cut. If we don't bottle it as blenders cut, it ends up in three separate finishing casks, um, and then each one of those casks age between um, sixty days and all the way up to gosh, I've got a few upwards of one year and then a couple in the two year category as well. Oh, wow. So I pull from each one of these um, in order to compile my blends for each batch. So it's uh, people always ask me, is it 45 days? Is it 60 days? Is it a year? I'm like, well, it's actually a range. It's 60 to two years old. Uh, of course, you know, little amounts of the two year because I have such limited stocks, but right, right. It, it, it makes the difference. Um, and that that's mostly technique that I'm working on that is adapted from the cognac industry of something called a uh, boise where they, they keep these really old cognacs and some of them are over a hundred years old, you know, and they use portions of it to, to, to feed back to the younger cognac stocks. So it gives it this, this beautiful, beautiful flavor profile that you wouldn't get otherwise. It's gorgeous. These, I, I, these are all fantastic. And I would have never Thank guessed you. that they're all so young and made by such a young <laughs> yeah. gentleman. Yeah, cheers um, to the that. quality is just <laughs> fantastic. Uh, so I feel like me, I have my, my parents to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> They're all about the quality of things, like make it good, make it worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm assuming since they have behind. a background of, of making spirits at home, that they are proud of you. And uh, that you're yeah. a winner at 21 of your yeah. first spirits award. I think they they were most proud that uh, I I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good thing that parents want. I don't yeah. ask for rent money, to be honest. <laughs> no, they, they're absolutely proud. It's uh, it, it's funny. All, all this silly little you know, brewing and liqueur making as a kid turned into a career for me. You know, I've been in for you know, just ten years at the very least. So. Um, and I've got a lot more to learn, let me tell you. Uh, and that, that's probably the most exciting part for me. So what is the five-year plan for Docs? And what is the 10-year plan for you? 
Oh, gosh. Wow. Uh, hmm. That's a great question. So five-year plan for docs, uh, more whiskey, more available to more people so we could share the beautiful things that we make and put in a bottle. Um, so so being on, on shows like this, Carrie, is, is amazing for our brand, of course. I mean, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the bigger thing is making sure we have enough whiskey to allow like a, a nice steady growth. So right right now, because there's kind of a, a shortage in barrels on the market or available on the market, especially if anything of age, it's making sure we, we temper our growth so that we don't, uh, you know, uh, grow too quickly and then deflate all of a sudden because we ran out of barrels. And um, I think we've done a pretty good job of securing the next uh, several years worth of casks, uh, all aging in the Midwest. Um, once again, they'll age there for about five years before being brought here. Um, which then they may age here longer, blended, et cetera. And it's really just to, to make sure we uphold our, our quality um, uh, at, the, at the very least, of course. And then, of course, more excitingly than even that is, is continue experimenting and now starting to compile more finished blends, kind of like the triple cask. So that's, that's, that's probably the next five years or so of docs. Expand distribution, get the product out there, and make and improve it, honestly. I don't think there's a single batch I'm like, oh, these are really good. But I was like, how can I do it different next time? You know? Right. Now, um, do you have any this. other uh, flavors that you're going to put out on the market? Or are you going to start doing anything like single malts or? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, uh, over the next year, two years or so, is to just really focus on Dox's American whiskey. So um, primarily just stick to finishing um, and also kind of disclosing more uh, how we how we how I process these things. So, for example, recently we released the Mind, Body, and Spirit um, collection, which is actually the individual parts to triple cast. So, if you just want to try the bourbon and cognac, the bourbon and oloroso, the bourbon and Pedro Jimenez, you can. Um, oh, wow. They're just in limited quantities, and you could. Uh, I I realized recently you can actually find them on our online store at docswhiskey.com. Oh, so, if you, if you really want to hunt them down, otherwise it's kind of hard because we only release them regionally and only maybe once or twice a year. Other than that, it's it's. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time hunting down different kinds of casts from from Europe, uh, South America, and the Caribbean as well um, to see what kind of magical concoctions we could come up with. Um, and not all of them get released. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, nope, that one didn't work. <laughs> yeah, no. There's a. I have a small collection of unique products. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what to do with that. Yeah, we'll just leave it over here in this barrel. <laughs> um, I think that going. That being said, though, is we really stick behind a. Uh, like our, our moniker basically is uh, bottled when ready and it's, it's on every single bottle. We really do truly stick behind that because like I said, we don't release everything that I, I create. Every once in a while I get one that's just like a, hmm, maybe not yet. No, let's just, let's just put this aside, um, which is good. I think that keeps our brand, you know, respectable. Yeah. High quality. You don't want to put out anything that you wouldn't want to drink. So <laughs> no, exactly. And it, yeah, that's what we, that's why we're here. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, money is great. Don't get me wrong. It helps keep it moving. But in the end, this is why we fell in love with this and started growing Doc Swinson's, right. um, which has really only been in the market truly for about a year, year and a half. I was going to say, I didn't hear <laughs> much about you guys until recently. Um, yeah. And I do have one more question about your, your labels, like who designed this beautifulness and, uh, you know, who um, that? me, <laughs> um, really? I, I was always, I, I, I thought I wanted to be like a graphic designer for a while there. And, uh, I took one course in college and that was, I was like, nah, this probably isn't for me. And of course, when we started this company, we didn't, you know, we were mostly doing private label stuff. So everybody had their own designers and I just kind of messed around on illustrator and Photoshop and, uh, the Doc Simpsons label, the original one, which looks very different than this, was basically the first thing I ever really made. 
um, outside of that class. And it is slowly developed into to the label that's actually on the bottle, it, in, including the bottle. I mean, it has some of our own touches on it. Um, the cork. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I love how the cork it. has, says Doc. Hold on, let me pull out the cork. Doc, yeah. It says Doc. <laughs> doc on the cork. It's kind of funny. Like, yeah. it shows through really nicely, you know, like, it's kind of hard it's to see. It's not focusing. But. There we go. Now it's focused. Okay. There we go. Nice. Um, you know, they're just all things that I think that are kind of funny. And the, the group here at Doc Swinson's, the people that support me, of course, uh, that make all this really happen, are pretty okay with me messing around <laughs> nice. with our brand. And yeah, it was about a year or so ago, or a year and a half ago, we released a 15-year Kentucky bourbon that was a blend of several barrels, and or several dozen, actually. And uh, that's kind of what launched Doc into the the stratosphere. You know, all the Reddit people, the bourbon communities, et cetera, were really uh, obsessed with finding these 15-year bourbons because they were virtually not on the market. That kind of launched Doc into the stratosphere. And we had to, of course, back it up with something next. And that's where actually Triple Cast became and the the, the Solera Method Rye. Um, and, you know, how do we how do we get a five-year-old bourbon or a five-year-old rye whiskey to compete with a 15-year-old? <laughs> Great. Well, you did a good job. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Well, Jesse, thank you so very much for being on the show today. Um, I learned a lot and I tasted even uh, a lot and a lot of really good stuff. Really appreciate you being here. And I'm uh, excited to watch your company grow. And um, thanks for getting the memo and wearing the same color shirt and having the same kind of background (laughs) as me today. That was fantastic. It's this so has funny. been wonderful. I know. <laughs> I know. I think it is absolutely great. We just said that. I was like, oh, you're totally right. We do look virtually <laughs> the same here. <laughs> the background shirts. Even the hair with the, 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 the microphone. Or the, the yeah. Same color, <laughs> heads, same color headphones. Um, so, yes. Uh, well, thank, thank you so, you so much. much thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and we will check in with you in the future and see how things are going. Oh, thanks so much, Carrie. This has been such a pleasure. I appreciate it very much. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. I'm Jesse Parker, the master blender of Doc Swinson's Whiskey, but I wanted to let you know that our exploratory cast line is out now and available online and in various stores around the country, and it's in super limited quantities, only a few hundred to a few thousand bottles per batch, so you should get some now. Welcome to the World of Wheezy segment here on Barrel Room Chronicles. We have Chef Louise Leonard here, and we're going to talk about Doc Swinson's whiskey. I had uh, Jesse Parker on a little bit earlier, and we got to talk about his whiskey um, history and the fun things that he's doing with his whiskeys. And we gave you three expressions to try, and I'm going to guess that you picked the rye. Oh, Carrie, you know me so well, of course. Of course I picked the rye. I can't say no to a good rye whiskey. You know me. I thought this whiskey, this rye was a really unique rye because I don't think I've had a rum cask finish with a rye before. Have you? I don't think I have, but it was really good. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that myself and I don't know that I have either. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. And especially so because today here in Los Angeles, it's hot. It's full-blown summer today. I've been out on my bike. I was at the gym. I was in my garden. I've been sweating all damn day and I needed something refreshing. And I will tell you what, what I did is I made a cocktail with this rye whiskey and it was delicious. It's the Algonquin cocktail. It's a classic from the Algonquin Hotel in New York City, where my favorite Dorothy Parker, part of the round table there back uh, in the 20s, 
But uh, this cocktail came about, they think maybe sometime in the 30s or or 40s and it couldn't be more simple all it is is rye whiskey dry vermouth and fresh pineapple juice and i will Mm. tell you the fresh pineapple is key do not use the stuff out of a can it is not the same you need the fresh stuff it's the acidity in that pineapple and especially with this rye because of the rum cask it is perfection it was so 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 enjoyable on a hot day i recommend it thoroughly that sounds really good. I have not ever heard of that cocktail before, but Dorothy Parker definitely have heard of Dorothy Parker. So uh, if she if she was up in that place and they made this drink and you approve it, I think that should be uh, my next drink. Yes, 100%. You have to serve it up in a very beautiful coop and uh, read some Dorothy Parker quotes to your friends while do- doing so and you're having yourself a fabulous evening. Sounds good. Well, I may uh, go get myself. I don't have any fresh pineapple juice, but I did see pineapple at the store. So I think uh, when I run to the store later, I will grab a pineapple and try one of these bad boys. Do you want a little hack to make some fresh pineapple juice at home if you do not have a juicer? Sure. Here is a hack for fresh pineapple juice at home if you do not have a juicer. Go to the supermarket, buy yourself a pineapple, cut it up, throw it in your blender and whiz it really, really, really well, like pulverize it. You might need to add a little bit of water, which is fine, but just pulverize the holy hell out of it and then strain it. You might need to strain it a couple times, but just strain it through a fine mesh strainer and extract as much of that pineapple pulp out of there as you can. And what's left is fresh juice. And you have that for your cocktails or your morning juice or, you know, an afternoon treat. That is awesome. I think I will try that. I do have a blender and I do have a mesh strainer. So there you go. And Louise, thank you so much for coming today for the World of Wheezy segment. As always, we'll see you next time with our next drink. Cheers. If you like what you've seen on BRC, you'll love what's coming soon in the Barrel Room Parlor. As a member, you'll have exclusive access to various spinoff series, including The Cutting Room Floor and the Telly Award-winning series Kindred Spirits. To create your membership, visit www.barrelroomchronicles.com and click on Become a Member. Once you have chosen your membership level, you'll be able to enjoy all the extra content it has to offer. You'll even be able to participate with the show by commenting on videos and other posts. Don't wait. Sign up today for exclusive content in the Barrel Room Parlor. That does it for today's show. To read notes on this episode or learn more about our guests, please visit BarrelRoomChronicles.com. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you really liked it and you want to show your support, buy us a whiskey through our Kofi site at ko-fi.com slash BRC or become an exclusive member of the Barrel Room Parlor, where you'll get exclusive content not seen anywhere else. And finally, if you work in the whiskey or spirits industry or just have a deep passion for whiskey and want to share your spirits journey, register to be a guest through our website. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, Salangeva. Barrel Room Chronicles is a production of First Real Entertainment and is distributed by Anchor FM and is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.